0: Hey, Shepherd family, this is Pastor Scott Seidler, and I bring to you grace and mercy, God's peace to you. And I pray that through this message, you experience a full measure of what it means for God to be your shepherd. You know, over the past week around YouTube, at least within maybe some of more church communities, there's been a video that's been going around. I thought I'd show it to you. It's a sheep that's getting pulled out of a ditch by some kids. And then as soon as, you're obviously watching it now, as soon as the sheep gets out of the ditch, it goes leaping and jumping and praising God (laughs) right back into the ditch. You know, shepherds, by their very definition, are there to herd sheep in safe ways. They are there, by definition, to ensure that when sheep get stuck, like we just saw, that they get unstuck and that for an extended period of time. Um, You know, I reflect on that video we just saw, and if you've had some experiences like I've had, you've probably been in a series of stuck moments. Uh, maybe it's in a series of moral failures where you are tied to addiction. Maybe you are um, just wayward in your spiritual disciplines. Maybe your family relationships are breaking down, and no matter what you try to do with that one sibling of yours, it just never seems to come out right and get better. Um, like that sheep, we get stuck in countless ditches throughout life. Look, I'm not saying that life is just a bunch of ditches that we're trying to extract ourselves from or be extracted from or that we're trying to avoid. Life is filled with good things too. And there are certainly a lot of joyous places in life. But today, what I want to do in this message is focus in on the one who comes to us as a shepherd, herd. God whose intent is to herd us as sheep to places of safe pasture, protection, and joy. And if we can do that in just a little bit today, then we're doing something right, and I think you're going to have just the right amount of spiritual food and energy for the days ahead, maybe even avoiding a ditch or two along the way. We're going to be looking in John chapters 9 and 10. If you have a Bible, maybe you want to stop this video right now and just read through those two chapters. It's a tall order, I want to admit that. Uh, John chapters 9 and 10 are, are, are long narratives. They are long stories. Um, John chapter 9 tells a very specific story. And then John chapter 10 is Jesus' response as he speaks to the crowds and helps them digest what just happened in John chapter 9? Um, I can explain it to you as well in um, this short and brief way. Jesus was hanging out with his disciples doing what they normally do, which is preaching teaching, and healing. That's the three big things that Jesus did during his earthly life uh, about 2,000 years ago. His disciples were part and parcel of that ministry effort. As God came into this world in the life of Jesus and tries to reclaim this world, you and I in it, tries to reclaim you and I for himself, to reconnect us with the God who created us so that we can know him and especially know his jealous love, his care for us, in a fuller and more complete way. So, Jesus and his disciples, well, they're doing this, and as they're walking along, they run into a man who had been born blind. Uh, in affliction, back in his day, uh, when Jesus had to deal not just with the physical um, uh incapacity of blindness, but he also had to deal with the spiritual judgment that typically went along with things like blindness, being deaf, being lame, having leprosy, your skin falling to pieces. And so um, his disciples came to Jesus because they were living in the same world. And his disciples said to Jesus, "Uh, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, because he's not just blind, he's blind from birth. It's not like you could tie the man's blindness at 18 years old to, you know, doing something stupid with, I don't know, chlorine bleach or something on your face. No, 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 no. This is much more foundational to this man's entire existence. From the moment he was born, he could not see. And so the question has been murmuring throughout the community, well, someone has to be responsible for this. God doesn't create people blind. That blindness in utero happens because the sins of the parents that are visited upon successive generations, or maybe, oddly, the kid, when he was still in utero, did something wrong. I don't even try to understand that, frankly, but that was the question. That was the operative question in this man's existence. Now, this man had grown up. He was an adult by now, at least a young adult. And the succeeding point that I want to make is this, is not only was he born blind, but he had to live in the hearing of all of his friends, his relatives, including his parents, talking, discerning, trying to figure out where the sin came from that got him his blindness. He was deformed, in other words, not just optically. He was deformed from birth spiritually by the conversations he was overhearing with his aunts and uncles, his parents, maybe his brothers and sisters, maybe his friends and their parents that lived in vicinity to him, proximity to him. This man had a doubly cursed life, in other words. And that's when Jesus shows up. His disciples asked the very normal and understandable question, Who sinned? Jesus' response turned everything, the world, frankly, on its head. Neither this man nor his parents, by their sin, are responsible for his blindness. This happened in some mysterious and unexplainable way, so that the greater glory of God can be seen in his life. And after that, we're off to the races. The religious leaders, those pastors who were responsible for the spiritual care of God's people, who were to be representatives of God's covenant love in this world, to show forth the true nature of God, both in his law and judgment, but also, and even more so, in his love, grace, and mercy, the pastors failed. They started condemning the man. They started arguing. You'll read this through chapter 9. His parents were called to account. They kind of took a step back and said, yeah, uh, we don't know what to say about this. And finally, when the man was asked by all of his surrounding community, you know, who did this? The man said, look, oh, this is what I know. I was blind, but now I see. And this is Amazing Grace. It's literally where the song Amazing Grace takes some of its... It's words from, it's lyrics. He was blind, but now he sees, and the cause of his sight is Jesus himself. Which takes us to our real sermon for today. That's a long wind-up. Here comes the pitch. John chapter 10 is a story a Jesus tells, a parable, really, about the Good Shepherd. And each part of this parable of the Good Shepherd correlates to a place in John chapter 9 that is of significance. Given the story I just shared with you, I'm going to read a section from John chapter 10. I want you to think, what part of the story do these parable words, these figurative words Jesus speaking, um, identifying himself as a good shepherd for sheep, what part of the story do these most correlate with? John chapter 10, beginning at verse 10, The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. But I, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me. Just as my Father knows me, and I know the Father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep too. They are not in the sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. The Father loves me because I sacrifice my life so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down when I want and also to take it up again. For this is what my Father has commanded. As I read those words from John chapter 10, that middle section of the parable Jesus is telling, I read about hired hands that fail in their care for the sheep. I hear about wolves that are attacking and devouring the sheep. And when I hear about those two things, you know who I think about in John chapter 9? I think about the man born blind, and I think specifically about his parents. I think about his community. I even think about those who presumed to be his pastors back then, his spiritual caregivers. And when I think about those three groups of people, the things that come to mind is failure, failure, failure. His parents were to be his first shepherds. And they showed themselves to be, at best, deficient, at worst, utter and total failures. I look at his community, his aunts, uncles, family, friends. They were to be a second level of support that gives wisdom to his parents, and at best, they are deficient. At worst, they are utter failures. And then finally, I look at the religious leaders that antagonize this man relentlessly, speak blasphemy, speak condemnation against Jesus, who only brought healing into this man's life. These spiritual leaders, which were to be God's last line of defense when parents and family and friends fail, it's the spiritual leaders that have should have been doing their job to say, no, 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 our God, our God who created this young man is a God of grace. He's a God of provision. He's a God of blessing. He's a God of purpose. And those pastors, they failed. I take that personally to heart, frankly. Which is why we need Jesus. You know, John chapters 9 and 10 is a reminder of this simple truth. Everybody needs a shepherd. And, and I know that we don't use the word shepherd or sheep herding. We are really not as much an agricultural kind of nation anymore, an agricultural kind of people um, the days of hunting and gathering are kind of over. Now it's shopping and, and Amazon purchases. I get that. But the vision that we have here in John chapter 9 and 10 is so essential for you and for me. Because we're reminded like the sheep we saw at the beginning of this message that literally just put themselves in a ditch again and again. We too can be like that. And sometimes, frankly, it isn't even our fault. We're in the ditch because our parents or our family and friends or, God forbid, our pastors, they put us there in the first place. It isn't to take away that we, we manufacture our own ditches quite well. You and I know that. There are things in our lives for which we are entirely, totally responsible for, but there's also times when we are taken advantage of by people who are supposed to be our caregivers in this world. And when that happens, Jesus comes along, and he says simply, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the one who, with my Father, put you into motion. I created you, lumps, bumps, warts and all. And now I'm the God who comes, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I will sacrifice everything I am and have. For you, I will do what your parents could never do, your family friends could never do, your pastors could never do. I will do all of that for you because I love you so much. God says, I want you back. I want you in my sheepfold. And not just you, by the way. The people you know and love as well. I want them to be a part of my family also. So that you can be extracted from ditches. The dirt can be dusted off your tummies can be fed, spiritually speaking, and that your eternal life can be secured. At the very end, here we read that the God who in Jesus Christ lays down his life is the same God who takes it up again. Rise and shine. It is Easter. This is the resurrected life. And it is founded on the Good Shepherd. And so, my invitation to you as we wrap up today's message is to simply consider the ditches that characterize and color your life and realize they are not what defines you, no matter what others have said or even what you think. There is a good shepherd who grabs you by the hind legs, pulls you out, and says, Now go, run, jump, leap for joy, and avoid the ditch as best you can. But if you find yourself in another one, guess what? There's nothing that can separate me from you. I'll come and pull you out again. May the grace of God be with you. And thanks for listening into this message.